0: We've been going through a series study on the parables of Jesus. I chose the parable today, uh, the parable of the unworthy slave or the unworthy servant. It's the same thing because it really coincides with what we're going to see take place today with Jeff and with uh, Amos and Mary. You will find this passage, it's a short little passage, it's in Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and, and turn to that right now. Luke chapter 17, verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. Now, the truths that you're going to find today in this parables are truths that have to be applied to all of our lives. If you're a Christian... You are a disciple of Christ because the name Christian alone means a little Christ, one who is like Christ. If you're a Christian today, this parable should define you, all right? That's every Christian. However, if you're in the ministry, even more, even more this parable applies to you. It says, Jesus says, in Luke chapter 17, verses seven through 10, Jesus said this. He said, "But which of you he says, "But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat?" "...properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, you should say, "'We are unworthy slaves.'" We have done only that which we ought to have done. Now, that's kind of an odd parable, especially to bring up today, but you're going to see this is a parable that defines what we're doing today 110%. You're going to see that within this parable, as we've already read and we'll go through it, it kind of sounds a little harsh, uh, kind of curt, overly strict, but when you look at the parable and you consider what jesus is saying you're going to see the complete total opposite effect of this parable the total opposite of this parable it's a beautiful parable and it really tells all this regardless of age what your attitude should be as a christian as a christian now it's interesting this parable uh, that involves everyone who is a believer, especially those in ministry, lines out our attitude and our perspective on why we do the things that we do. Why do you do what you do? Everyone everywhere abides by a code. It can be the Word of God. It can be their own Uh, moral code of, of what they think is right and what they think is wrong. Everybody everywhere abides by a code. And Jesus is telling us, all of us in this room here today, that to be a follower of Him, there's also a code. And there's a reason for that. And He gives us the reasons as to why There is a reason to do what we do. Jesus wanted us, just like he wanted the disciples. He wanted them to understand. Remember, he gave this to the disciples, but it's given to us. He wanted them to understand their nature in serving him. He wants them to keep before them a perspective of the prize that awaits before them. But he wants them to understand, why do you serve me? And why do I ask you to do the things that I ask you to do? It's important to keep the proper mindset as we serve him. Because if you develop a bad mindset, you either fade away You'll lead people astray, or you will burn out. Or or, or you'll burn out. Jesus wanted them to keep a proper mindset. Why do you do what you do? So in order to fully understand this parable, I want us to look at the setting, and then we're going to look at the problem, and then we're going to look at the solution that Jesus gave to this parable. First, let's talk about the setting, This setting will define what we've just read, okay? That's important. Context is very important. Now, Jesus has been giving instructions to the disciples on how they were supposed to serve him. Uh, You will discover that in the very first uh, verse of this passage, in in verse 7 of Luke chapter 17, what's the first word that you read? It's the word but. But which of you, Jesus said, having a servant, having a slave, and then he he goes on. Now that word, but, it indicates that Jesus is balancing this message with others that he's already been given. And you can see what those are prior to this chapter. This word um, is a powerful word. Because you see, Jesus is aware that the disciples... uh, um, had been thinking and had been talking amongst themselves uh, about things that is contrary to what they're supposed to be thinking, and Jesus is aware of that because he could hear them talk, and he also knew their hearts. He knew what they were saying behind the scenes and in front. And Jesus, it concerned Jesus because the way they were thinking, it was wrong. And it was going to discredit their witness. And for those who are in Christian service, it's going to discredit their testimony. And the most important thing we have in life is our testimony. Your character and your testimony are the two things you can never afford uh, to tarnish. You just can't do it. Well, Jesus could see that their credibility was being tarnished big time. So Jesus launched off with this parable. Now, there was fear that the disciples could get so busy doing that they would forget the elementary things that Christ has called them to keep. For those who are in ministry, it is so easy to be doing that you forget the basic things that you should be doing day to day. Uh, the parable, we haven't gotten to it yet, but the, um, uh, the, the, the man who was injured laying on the side of the road and the people walking by and they just ignored him because they were so busy doing. And Jesus recognized that his disciples could get so caught up in doing so many things that they would forget their main calling And their main calling is the main calling for all of us here in this room today. Um, It's easy to forget. Look at uh, verses 1 through 3 in that chapter. Jesus said this. Jesus said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, when you read that, this, those are three powerful verses that has everything to do with faith and maintaining faith in difficult times. Why? Cuz it's hard to forgive someone that's hurt you. It's hard. And depending on the severity of what it is, it takes great faith at times, does it not? You know it does. You know it does. Look at the next three verses. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, he said, forgive him. That takes faith. Medicine wouldn't help either, wouldn't hurt either, but that takes faith. That's hard to do, especially if it's family. It's hard. But look at what he says in verse 5. And so the apostles, having heard what Jesus just said to to them, they got so caught up, and man, that is such a hard thing to do. What did they say? They said, well, then, Lord, increase our faith. In other words, in order to do what you want us to do, you can forget that. That is not going to happen unless you give us more faith. And what did Jesus say back to them? Jesus replied to them, and he said, look, if you had the faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this uh, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But which of you having a slave, and then he goes into the parable. Now, in those verses, in verses four through six, Jesus explains how essential it is to have the faith and just doing routine tasks. Privileges have to be balanced with responsibilities. And so Jesus is recognizing how hard all this is, but it's not if you hang on to the faith. Just hang on. Doing great things in the name of the Lord can quickly go to your head. We see it all the time. And Jesus knew that this is true Even for the disciples. So there becomes what happens is there becomes a tremendous temptation to become conceited. To become conceited. Jesus is laying before them a picture. That's what you need to remember in this parable. It is a picture, a reminder of who they are and who he is. Don't you think sometimes if we were to play the truth game, isn't it easy at times to forget who we serve? When you hear the way some Christians talk, the way they act, the things they think about, you're quickly reminded, have they forgotten the object of our worship? That's Jesus. Jesus is the center figure of Christianity. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not an ideology. Christianity is Jesus. That's what Christianity is. And I think it's really easy for us to get so caught up just doing what we do. We we forget why we're even doing what we do. And then we forget who we are. And too many times it's easy to, to think more highly of yourself then you should be thinking. And because of that, Jesus gave us this short little parable. Now, what was the mindset of those disciples at this time? Remember I said, Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus knew what they were saying. What were they saying? What were they thinking? They had been arguing amongst themselves who was the greatest. Now, you know that's definitely guys, because they're going to do that all the time. It's their nature to put their feet in their mouth half the time they talk. But they're sitting there and they're talking. Who's the great? Who's the man? Who is Jesus' favorite? And this is what they were discussing. This is what they had been talking about. Well, now, <clears throat> while I serve Jesus, I wonder who's going to be number one. I can tell you who's going to be number one. It's going to be me. No, it's going to be Andrew. Oh, no, it's not. It's going to be Barnabas. It's always the quiet ones that that always get you. And then there's Peter. Oh, you know it's me. You know it's going to be me. They're arguing. They're boasting. They're bragging. They're just talking about who's the greatest. And Jesus, hearing this, knowing that he's going to commission 11 of these 12 disciples to be unleashed into the world after he ascends to heaven. And they're the ones that's going to be leading by example, teaching by example, preaching by example. And this is what they're saying? I mean, y'all, it's so crazy that even the mother of one of the disciples went up to Jesus and said... In your kingdom, I just want to ask a favor. Would you let my two sons sit on your left and on your right? (laughs) Uh, that's, that's, That's amazing to even ask that. To think it is amazing. To ask it is wow. So this is what Jesus hears. So Jesus puts them in their place by giving them a proper Perspective of what they're to look at, what they should be thinking about, because what they're thinking and what they're saying doesn't work. If they were to continue in this mindset, if something didn't happen to get their attention, to interrupt them in the way they were thinking, in the direction that they were going, they would lead everyone astray. Arrogance will always lead people astray. Always. He wanted to set before them an example of humility and insight that they're to have. Why? First, because they're followers of Jesus. And all these things needed to be addressed. So, in return, the disciples hearing the things that Jesus had said about forgiving those who offend you, about those who may continue to do it and you're supposed to forgive them every time they come back and and they genuinely mean it. I'm sorry. I'm a knucklehead. I did it again. And to do the things that's most difficult to do, Jesus tells them to remember who they are, who He is, and what he requires of all of his children. Now, when Jesus told them this parable, it's interesting to to remember these these 12 disciples right here. They lived in the day when the ownership of slaves, servants, and all this stuff was the standard, it was the norm. And when he told them this parable... He basically was defining to them a story that they could relate to. It was a story that they could be connected in all that he was saying. It was a story about a master who would never allow a bond servant to take priority over himself. That's what the story is about. The slave will never be greater than his master. And here's the weird thing. The servant, the slave understood and agreed that well of course how, how could that ever happen well it was happening because the disciples are over here bragging about who's number one so that was the setting that's what was going on now the problem is easy it's just two questions for the problem the first question uh, that we're going to look at is what is the obligation Of a disciple of Christ. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, you've been born again, you've been converted, you've been forgiven, you've surrendered your life to following Christ, you have an obligation. Just like I have an obligation. We all stand on equal ground. We have an obligation. What is your obligation as a believer in Jesus? And the second question is like it What kind of attitude? What kind of attitude should a disciple have when serving Jesus? What should be our attitude? Now, in the solution given of this parable, it's worth noting that in this parable, Jesus, does, uh, Jesus tells us that this is a parable that is not about a hired servant. In other words, when he tells this parable, it's not about someone who goes out and says, hey, I need some work done. It's about two days' work. Can I hire you? I'll pay you so much uh, for the job. And they sign up, and they do the job. It's not a hired servant. This story is about a bond servant. That is drastically different. A bond servant is someone who is owned he is owned by someone a hired servant comes and goes a bond servant is there a bond servant is family a bond servant has obligations he is a possession of the master jesus is not looking for hired servants he's looking for bond servants and they are bond servants who belong to jesus because of why Because of a purchase. Because of a purchase. You know, Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6.20, this is a very popular verse to most Christians. I'm going to say it anyway. Paul said, For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. 1 Corinthians 6.20 You've been bought. Someone owns you. And you're happy that they do. Because when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we stepped out of this life of damnation, of sin, and everything that comes with it. And we've, we been, our lives have essentially been replaced by the righteousness of Jesus. And God gives you that righteousness the moment you surrender your life into following uh, Christ. And when that happens, that's why the Bible says you now have passed out of death into life your old nature has died and now you are alive i have been crucified with christ as paul would say and because jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world but it only applies to those who follow him you become a bond servant of christ you've been bought and it you've been bought by the blood of jesus christ himself there is a price it's a high price are you just a hired servant today or are you a bond servant today there is no greater feeling in the whole wide world than to be a slave of jesus than to be a servant of jesus because you don't have to worry about anything anymore i mean you don't have to worry about anything All we got to do is go home tonight and turn on the news, and we're going to get disappointed within the first two minutes. There's a lot of things we can't control. And guys don't like that because they want to be able to try to manage things. And there's a lot of things out there that reminds us we can't control. But when you're a servant of Jesus, you don't have to worry about anything. One second after this life is over, you're ushered into paradise. I mean, you're with Jesus. You're being uh, reunited with family and friends. I've said it before, I'll say it again right now, it's a good commercial timeout. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I'm going to receive you unto myself so that where I am, you will always be with me because you're his servant. And you're more than just his servant. And we're going to get to that. The moral of this story, the moral of this parable, lies in the fact that servants were to do the things that the master says to do before they would do things for themselves. That's the moral of the story. Rather than seeing the attitude of the servant who sits back and says to himself, Well, what have you done for me lately? We are granted the privilege of seeing things from the perspective of the owner. Of the owner. In this parable, the servant had worked all day in the field, plowing or maybe he was tending sheep. But all day he was working. All of this was done in accordance to the master's will. However, when the day was over, instead of going into the house to retire for the day, the servant still had responsibilities and duties to do. This parable emphasizes faithfulness to duty no matter what the demands might be. That's what it means. Here is the core point of this parable. A faithful servant should not expect a special reward since he did only what he was told to do. And I cannot tell you how many times you're going to come across people and they'll do the right thing and they expect you to pat them on the back for it. And that's just, that's broken. The moral of this story, the faithful student, servant, slave, whatever, should not expect anything for doing what he's supposed to be doing in the first place. This has nothing to do with not being grateful. Because even in the parable, Jesus is talking and he says, he does not thank the servant because he did the things which were commanded, does he? This has nothing to do with being ungrateful. The parable is about faithfulness to what we're supposed to be doing and the humility that comes in recognizing really who we are and who he is and what our job is supposed to be about. That's, that's, that's the way we're supposed to look at this. The servant is merely doing what he was hired to do. Case in point. When a coach hires a quarterback to be the quarterback on his team, every time the quarterback makes a pass and it's a completion, does the coach run out on the field, call a timeout, and thank the quarterback for making a completion? Well, you would if you were Kansas City back in the 90s because it was a tough time to be a Chiefs fan. Making a completion was a wonderful miracle. But the truth be known is a quarterback is hired to do what a quarterback does. When the quarterback makes the pass, makes the completion, does he stop and look at the coach for approval? Hey, look at what I did. Are you proud of me? Of course not. He's moving on to the next play. He's moving on to the next thing. He's doing what he is hired to do and he is not stopping what he is doing for the attaboys or good jobs from the coaches on the sideline. He's simply doing what he's called to do. Even so, the servant having served the master, he is then free to do what he wants to do for himself. Why? Because his job, his job is completed. It's over. It's done. And remember, too, the servant here, as well as in truth, because when you become a Christian, you become a bond servant. The truth of the matter is, that servant is very much cared for already. Why? Because he's been entrusted with everything that belongs to the master. The servant's already well-covered. He is not without want. That servant has it going on because the master has entrusted everything that he has to the servant. All that is mine is yours. And we even read that in the parable of the uh, prodigal son. When he, the father goes out to implore his other son... He should be merry that his other son has come home because he said, all that I have is yours. And his son was arguing, well, you didn't throw a party for me. His dad's response was, everything I have is yours. If you want a party, throw a party. The master doesn't owe him, and the master doesn't owe us anything extra. And it's important for us to remember, always remember, That when Jesus rewards us, and the Bible is full of talking about the rewards that would be handed out at the judgment seat of Christ, every single time we read something about his rewards, it is only because of his grace. Only because of grace. It is not because God is required or he is obliged to give us any reward. It is just because of His grace. We are under no obligation to expect rewards. We do not deserve anything else because our job is simply to obey and serve Jesus. Now, I do not recall who I've said this to. I don't know if it's all these years past with the youth or if it's been down here, so I'm going to say it right here. Again, nonetheless, it's a point that's worth remembering. The moment you became a Christian, you lost your rights. You lost your rights. Before you become a Christian, you could demand your rights on everything that is owed you and done to you. You can stand there and talk about why you deserve this to happen and that to to happen. The moment you became a Christian, you gave up your rights. Is it easy to turn the other cheek? It ain't easy at all, but it's commanded. Why? Because the one who now owns us, our Heavenly Father, the one who saved us, that's the attitude that He wants us to have. Someone comes up and offends you, you're to forgive them. And if the knucklehead keeps on doing it, you're to forgive them every time they come back and generally seek it. You lost your rights. When we lost our rights, we now have a responsibility. Christians, when they go to the cross, they lose their rights, but they gain a responsibility. You know what that responsibility is? Do what he wants us to do. Act the way he wants us to act. Say what he wants us to say. He just wants us to walk with him. We need to guard our hearts lest we develop a wrong attitude toward our duties as we do them. So what is the proper attitude for Christian service? It is simply doing the will of God from the heart. you see this up on the screen. Ephesians 6, 6 says this, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, because you're doing the will of God from your heart. Serving Jesus is a delight. It's not a duty. Amen? Amen. Serving Jesus is a delight. And let's, let's ratchet this servant, bond servant thing up a little bit more to the status of how Jesus sees you and how he sees me. Look at the next verse up on the screen. John 15, 15 through 16, Jesus said, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So why is it so important to maintain that proper attitude with who you are versus who he is? It's so that you will produce from the way that you live your life fruit that will last, not just something that is quickly seen and then dismissed because uh, your. are uh, Your character or the conduct of your witness destroys the credibility. And everything you have done is now for nothing. But what does Jesus say? He doesn't see us as his servants. He sees us as his friends. And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. As we read in James chapter 4. So here's the main point of today's parable. We will never be able, ever be able, we will never, ever be able to take credit for the work that is done. Not one of us in this room, when we get to heaven, are we going to be walking along, maybe get a little stride going in your step and look at something and say, well, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't do this. That's not going to happen. All of us, when we get to heaven, God's going to be the one that gets the thanks. God's the one. Now, He could use you, but He also used animals, too, to speak through. And He also, He could use rocks to cry out if, if we gave up and decided not to. You're not as all that as you think you might be. But when you recognize who you are because of who Jesus is, He is going to use you in a powerful way. A powerful, powerful way. Y'all, He just wants us to keep in check this thing called humility. And as we serve Him in this spirit of humility and remain faithful to to the cause, God is going to move. So when we get there, we're going to give Him the glory. The greatest servants in ministry, both today and in history past, When they have have done all that is expected of them to do, they've done no more than just their duty. Than just their duty. When Jesus said, we should say, we are useless servants. We're unworthy servants. That may sound excessive, but it is to be understood. The disciples got it. They knew what he meant. It is to be understood as an expression of humility, not a statement of fact. Otherwise, how could Jesus say again when we read in John chapter 15? He called us his friends. Everyone who enters into God's kingdom ultimately, we will have him to thank. We're going to have him to think. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. So it's a story that's centered on faithfulness. It's a story about keeping the proper perspective. It's a story of humility. We serve him for the great things he has done for us. And in return, we get to discover who he is and all that he has for all of us.